Happy to be with all of you tonight. Happy as, uh, as always to uh, use the instruction period to point to the uh, always, already, ever-present nature of awareness, of lucid awareness, which is what I consider uh, each of our natural state, uncreated, unborn, deathless, the very nature of your mind, already, already here. And the, basically the path of practice is to uh, realize that, that the nature of your heart, mind, is already free. And that any notion that you have of being bound and uh, insufficient, not enough, wrong, whatever it is, is just a, a, a story and an insult to your, um, to your grandeur, to the, the greatness of the very nature of your mind, so that the, and that there's, within the nature of your mind, there is room for everything, room for all feelings, all beings, nothing left out, nothing in excess. Reality, which is surrounds you, is within you at all times. That you're never apart from reality. So it's always that's, in a sense, what we point to in the instructions over and over again is to the to uh, recognize what the Buddha called uh, sati, sati, otherwise known as awareness. Um, it's often translated as mindfulness, but uh, the Buddha never used the word mindfulness. That was more of a more of a um, a translator's term. But then, the, the, but the Buddha gave this this teaching called the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, is how it's translated. But it's really what it is is it's called the Satipatthana Sutra. But this is the sutra that essentially recommends four ways, four areas to actively help, actively support you in establishing this experience and uh, understanding of, of the, the primacy of awareness. Because sati is really, sati is the word for mindfulness, sometimes translated as bare attention. But it really is, as close as we can come, it's something like clear, clear awareness or lucid awareness. And you can see right now, if I asked you to stop being lucidly aware, you would see that lucid awareness is just right there. So I keep, that's what I like to keep reminding. It's right here, right here, right here. You don't have to do awareness. You just have to, have to be aware. But what helps establish the capacity to be aware is also, that sounds very receptive, very passive, just settle back and be aware. But it seems like we need, because our minds are so deluded, we get so confused, so much of the time falling into that case of mistaken identity, being so lost and identified with our thoughts. As I said earlier in the evening, it's likely that 
as the statistics show that you've spent about 46.9% of your day uh, daydreaming. And while you were daydreaming, you were constructing a universe, constructing the world in your mind, constructing a thought of yourself and how you were doing, measuring yourself, how high, how low, good, better, best, measuring others. And so you were, you literally were 46.9% of the time, you were constructing an artificial world and leaving your body, uh, leaving yourself disembodied in a way, leaving your body waiting for, uh, to be inhabited by your consciousness, to uh, waiting to reclaim, as Thich Nhat Hanh, to reclaim your heritage, this uh, aware presence that depends on this, what the Buddha called this fathom-long body. So this habit of 46.9% of the time, and I use this because it was in Scientific American, it was a study done at Harvard that uh, tested people, that sent little beeps out 250,000 times to people, and when the study was finished, they the statistic was that 46.9% of the time we're daydreaming. We do it to make our lives easier, but it actually makes them harder. And because we spend so much time doing that, we tend to need to, um, to actively use the nature of our mind to establish this kind of aware presence. So then we can, we can simply be aware. So I can point to it on Tuesday night, and we can, as a group, we can all have a, a, a nice experience of that, feel the lifting power of, of, of sangha, of satsang, of associating with the truth, associating with reality. There's a sacred power in that, and it lifts everybody. And we all can just plug into that, that inexhaustible current that, gets, um, that we tap into when we're all present, being aware together. But that doesn't seem, but satsang itself doesn't seem to sustain, help us establish the capacity to abide in uh, mindfulness, to abide in sati, to abide in clear awareness. Uh, so for that reason, the Buddha suggested that we actively observe our bodies, that we actively begin with the foundation of putting our mind in our body, our body in our mind, and that we do that. We, we actively apply that aware presence to the exploration, investigation, uh, calming, abiding in this physical form. And starting, of course, with the superficial sense of, yeah, I'm here and I'm in a body, but evolving to where the body becomes explored as a field of sensation. And then, really, if one simply actively explored with that natural awareness the experience of our body. If we did that all the time, pretty soon, quite naturally, insight would arise. Insight arises into the nature of our body, and into the fact that there really is no thing called body, that that's just a, a concept that gets overlaid on this dynamic field of changing sensations and processes. And we are, 
our mind stops, comes out of the confusion of reifying or solidifying this experience, this dynamic experience, and fixating it as body, and we literally enter into, by bringing that aware presence to the body, we enter into that stream of being that it includes the ever-changing sensations of our body. So we want to, this is the number one ground of our practice, is mindfulness uh, or clear, lucid awareness of our body. And you'll notice that if there is an immediate sense of clear, lucid awareness of the body, in that there is no identity with our body, my body, this body is me, there's just this experience of body. And often with the absence of that identity with our body, me, my body, there's a, at least momentarily there's, a, there's freedom from fear. It's not about me, it's not about mine, it's just about inhabiting this body. And usually without a lot of identity with our body, just the experience of it, there is a, a natural calming. There is a calming. There's a calming of the voice of me, me, my, and mine. It's the voice of I, what I want to happen, what I'm not getting, what my body, my body is like or not like. It's, it's just a, a direct experience. And it's streaming, it's, it's zooming, it's, it's aching, burning, it's all kinds of things. It's the, the elements of nature doing a dynamic dance, playing itself out. And just by letting that aware presence feel the body, there is a, a stabilizing there is, a, there is a, a greater sense of immediacy because the body is always immediate. The body is always present, what we call our body. And whenever there is that, that mingling of attention or awareness and body, there is a, there's a stilling. There's a natural stilling. And there's a simplifying. We, we see that reality is quite a lot more simple. Our minds are, in our, those, that 46.9% of the time, mind, uh, the thinking mind, it's, uh, it's complicating. It's proliferating. It's elaborating all the time. And that's one of its great creative geniuses. But it, in, the, in the creative genius of our mind, we miss the... We miss the um, the simple, uh, stabilizing, liberating effect of reality just as it is. So every Tuesday, what we're, we're trying to do is we're trying to establish the conditions where we can then simply arrest, we can rest in this aware presence and not have to, unless, of course, we, unless, of course, there's a, a clear intention we don't have to experience life as complicated. We can literally experience our life from the, a ground of being free. This is possible. 
And as the Buddha put it, if this wasn't possible, I would never ask you to do this. So as long as we spend 46.9% of the time, it is useful to apply, even though awareness is natural to us, it's useful to actively direct that awareness to explore our body. And then, on top of that, it is quite useful, not just to have a general awareness of the body and even a more refined awareness of the body. It, it, it will both emerge naturally, but it's also helpful in establishing this aware presence, this lucid awareness, to let that awareness, let our awareness shine its light on the different, um, the different tones of feeling that flow through our body. The pleasant tones and feel the pleasantness. To feel the unpleasant tones and feel the unpleasantness. And just as importantly, to feel the neutral experiences. We tend to be so in our lives fixated, addicted to the pleasant tones that our mind becomes, it becomes um, addicted, it becomes uh, dependent, becomes uh, focused almost entirely on keeping pleasant tones going. Pleasant, and the reason I use tones because that's the, uh, that's the teaching on the second foundation of mindfulness, that every experience has a valence or a tone to it. Either a pleasant tone, an unpleasant tone, or a, a neutral, or neither pleasant or unpleasant. And it turns out that if we devote ourselves to the pleasant, the pleasant, when it, when it, when it is not mixed with this aware presence, when we don't notice that something is pleasant, it is immediately followed with wanting. And wanting, the, a fleeting desire, a fleeting feeling of wanting, if that goes unnoticed, it hardens into the habit of grasping. And grasping hardens into the addictive view that I have to have that experience, otherwise I can't be happy. So our happiness becomes completely hooked to something that can never truly deliver happiness because just as every, um, every sensation that you feel is moving and dynamic and changing, as I said before, every pleasant tone is moving and dynamic and changing. So therefore, it's unreliable as a source of happiness. It's unreliable. So how much of the time today, if we're really honest, See, we want, to, we want to walk through the day and we want to know, what, is this experience pleasant right now? And, is there, and how much of my mind is hooked on trying to recreate more pleasant? How much of the day am I spending, like the, you know, there's this, this wonderful um, teaching from, from the Sufi wise person, Fool, I think I may have even shared this a few weeks ago, but the teacher's name was uh, Mullah Nasruddin, and there are lots of books about Mullah Nasruddin. And Mullah Nasruddin 
always teaches by example. And in, in the case of the story that is often told, and I'll tell again tonight, he was exploring... Um, he went to the market one day and he saw that they were selling chili peppers on sale. And he bought a bushel of chili peppers. Now, chili peppers produce a lot of burning. And he was eating them and, and uh, he started to, to burn and heat up. You know, they're heating. Chili peppers, are, they, they heat up. If any of you have ever been to Sri Lanka... In Sri Lanka, the, the food, what seems quite natural to the people in Sri Lanka, I've never perspired so much. Even running three miles, I never perspired so much. Anyway, chili peppers heat one up. So Mullah Nasruddin's sitting at the table eating the bushel of chili peppers one by one. His students come to, to talk to him and they say, why are you eating these chili peppers? What, what's this about? And he keeps eating them, and he's schwitzing. You know, that's Yiddish for sweating. And he said, why are you eating them? And finally, he, they, after begging him one more time to, to say why he's eating the chili peppers, he looked up and he said, I'm looking for a sweet one. <laughs> and this just is, a, of course, it's an example of what our mind is doing. It's constantly looking for a sweet one. And I had a particular experience. You know, I'm, I'm having a lot of senior moments because I know I tell stories over and over again, but I, there was a point in my meditation practice, at least it was now 20, 25 years ago, where I had for quite some time, in fact, three years, I, and I'll preface this by saying I had a tremendous faith in practice, and I think... If I didn't have so much faith, I would have quit. But for three years, virtually every time I sat down, I would, uh, I would experience this internal achiness, this almost this in, this level of restlessness that made me feel like I was going to jump out of my skin, and then it would evolve into this deep ache. And I just kept going and going and going. Some, you know, some moments it would be five minutes before this showed up. Sometimes I could sit for hours without problem. But it would cycle in and out virtually every day of practice, especially when I was doing intensive practice, spending weeks, months in silence. So this went on for three years. And I happened to be in practicing in Burma in this, what's, now, um, what's now Myanmar, and I was in this monastery, just, I had shrunk to, my body had shrunk to about 128 pounds and had nausea every day and everything was, was, was cockeyed. And in the middle of it was this, this internal ache. And one day, because I was literally practicing for 20 hours a day, four hours sleep, and the rest of the time it was just on it. Meals, everything. I was just mindful moment to moment. And the style of practice in Burma is you don't miss a single moment. And there's even a, a running... Uh, you, some, some people play in a little friendly competition of, of uh, NPMs, notes per minute. How many moments can you note what's happening? And so it's a, it's a kind of madness that can grow. <laughs> That's enough to make your body ache, too. But I was really in the flow of, of 
noticing moment to moment and describing what not only what I was noticing, but what happened to what I was noticing. So not the process of things over and over and over again. And meanwhile, I'm tracking this whole aching thing. And, and then just across my screen, the screen of my mind, there was this one moment where I noticed it was like it came across the screen in neon that I was that there was just a momentary awareness that I was looking for a pleasant experience that just that simple moment of knowing that in the span of all these many many notes per <laughs> mind moments just the seeing of that desire for a sweet experience the whole dynamic the whole drama of the achy body the whole contraction that was being fed by that constant search which i didn't even know was there on that level once that was seen in the the neon in my mind the whole thing vanished and my everything relaxed that whole period of achiness and restlessness just melted away all driven by the reaction to one of the reactions either pleasant wanting more unpleasant wanting to get rid of or wanting pleasant uh, from having uh, wanting to have the unpleasant move into pleasant so this is the second foundation of mindfulness we want to attune ourselves to the fact we want to get used to the fact in order to establish this being aware we want to know for certain we want to know for ourselves that if we have if there is experience sometimes it will be pleasant sometimes it will be unpleasant sometimes it will be neutral the fact that these experiences that that experiences have these three feeling tones is no problem if we notice it if it goes unnoticed our mind has a, a tendency to have a very strong bias as the teachings of the uh, second noble truth suggest as a strong bias to wanting things to be different than the way they are so we want to attune to the pleasant experiences and, and learn to experience the great pleasantness without it leading to so much grasping and that endless search for for more and we want to experience the unpleasant without so much aversion that we spend our whole life trying to get away from the unpleasant a whole life running from ourselves because if you're if you're born it's inevitable you will have unpleasant experience this is why we say open to it all that's why rumi says even if it's a crowd of sorrows that empty your house of all its furniture meet meet them at the door laughing invite them in and we also want to attune to the neutral or the neither pleasant or unpleasant experiences this is the the foundation of mindfulness called uh mindfulness or um or clear awareness of feelings not emotions in this case but feeling tones we want to be aware of the neutral the neutral is usually associated by our habit 
our habits, it's associated with boredom, with not enough, with uh, dullness, with uh, some kind of insufficiency. Yeah, I said not enough. But neutral, if we can learn to experience the neutral, it's precisely the experience of neutral that allows us to to um, settle back into that receptive side of awareness, that lucid, aware presence that really is the nature of mindfulness. It's not something that you do. It's something that you, that you arrive at. It's something that you arrive at, which is our, ultimately, it is our natural state. It's a state of mind that is free of the tendency to want things to be different, free of grasping, free of aversion, and free of, of del- the delusion that normally springs from, uh, from the neutral experiences. We just tend to not want to stay at the neutral. The neutral experiences are things like the, the gap between your breath. Often there's an experience of breathing in, breathing out. There's often a gap, and that gap is... Uh, that's usually when people check out because it's often associated with, a, with being neither pleasant or unpleasant. But if you can stay there, that's, that, uh, it, it tills the soil, it, it creates the ground of, of, um, of stable, aware presence, equanimity, balance, and is a springboard considered the last of the uh, the factors of enlightenment. So all this is within the nature of our own um, power to practice. We want to develop this awareness of, of feeling so that our mind is not constantly going out in search. It's so exhausting to be continually looking for a different experience. To be able to sit in the middle of it all, what a great relief. So whatever experience you're having right now, even if you're tired or you're restless or you're sick of this what, the conversation or whatever, or you're excited about it, just feel the tone of that. Don't, don't need to do anything about it. You don't need to undo anything. And you'll find that in the moment where there is no reaction toward or away from it, even if there is a reaction, and you can notice that. Just in the knowing, you've actually returned to the, you've hit the highest point in the mountain. You've hit the mountaintop, the pinnacle. Just aware presence, calm abiding, lucid awareness. Nothing else is needed for that instant anyway. The suffering subsides, the mental reactions go into quiescence for a moment. And that, that freedom is a split second away, any moment. This is why we want to get used to and establish and stabilize this aware presence, sometimes called mindfulness. We also want to be able to use our moods and our emotions and our states of mind 
also in the service of helping us establish aware presence, to be able to make that shift from being lost and identified with what we're feeling and then thinking about what we're feeling to simply being angry when we're angry, just feeling what, what that's like, feeling joyous, feeling sad, feeling happy, feeling contracted, feeling spacious, whatever it is, knowing the state of the mind, knowing the state of the heart, each thing done in the service of, of awareness, establish, helps establish that capacity to sustain uh, that and be aware of that natural, be self-aware. To be self-aware. And I keep saying to be aware, not to do aware. So last, we want to be aware of the kinds of states of mind that that um, that tend to cloud our perception, the state of wanting that I talked about, the state of aversion, the state of restlessness and agitation, the state of dullness, the state of doubt, all the things that, that tend to make uh, believing that, that all we have to do is be here, the reality is enough. All those states that tend to hypnotize us, we want to also notice how they cloud our perception. So we want to know the, what are called the hindrances. We also want to know what, the, what we call the, what are the factors of enlightenment. We want to know what it's like to have a mind that's filled with energy, filled with calm, filled with mindfulness, filled with concentration, filled with the quality of interest and investigation, filled with equanimity, as I mentioned before. All of these we want to know. And we want to be able to know with a mind that is that is. Uh, calmly abiding, continuously present, which is really our birthright, it's our capacity. We want to know what's true. We want to know that for ourselves, not just as an idea, yes, as I've been both thinking about and realizing lately, because this is the year of my 60th birthday, that I'm aging, I'm, I'm unstable, my mind is unstable. My moods are unstable. <laughs> this group is unstable. <laughs> Everything is unstable. And this is how it is if you're born, if you, if you live. Things are in flux. Uh, I will have to say goodbye to each of you. And everything I hold near and dear, near and dear everything is continually moving and changing. And I want to be in harmony with this truth. I don't want to be, I don't want to get, I don't want to hold on so tight. I don't want to fall into that, those three common misperceptions where I take what's changing to be solid and permanent, take what's completely unreliable because it's changing to be a source, my source of happiness, to not, not to be so bound up to, as the, as the teachings put it, to, I think I have it written down here tonight, to abide, I want to be able to abide independent, not clinging to anything in this world, not clinging to any experience that shows up. I don't want, I don't want whatever happens in my life to interrupt the, the sense of freedom. Freedom. 
And this is, uh, this is the best that I can, this is the best that we can cultivate because then it frees us up to love, even in the middle of hell. And we all can do this. If we couldn't, at least as the Buddha said again, wouldn't ask you to do it. So we want to know that, the, that, that, that there is that in this life that's hard to bear, and we want to be in harmony with that. We don't want to run from it. And we, but we don't want to add to it by wishing it was otherwise. And we want to learn to let go. We want to learn to let go again and again and again and know that there is in this very life uh, a capacity to be free. And we want to, every day, we want to realize that there is a that there is a path that one can rely on, that you can doubtlessly, um, where you can doubtlessly realize that there's a path to, um, to be free. So that's the four foundations of mindfulness in a, in a nutshell. Foundation of the body, of feelings, of mental states, the mindfulness of the mind, mindfulness of the Dharma, of the Four Noble Truths, the there's a lot of pieces in that that I didn't talk about tonight. Uh, but the factors of enlightenment, the five hindrances, the, the um, I didn't talk about the five aggregates, but uh, there's so much in there, but so many lists. But I think you get the point. But it all comes down to making it possible for you to not simply have a moment where you can be aware but where it becomes your, where you realize and trust it and it becomes your true home, not something that you just taste for a little moment on Tuesday night or whenever you remember. So may all beings realize uh, continuous, clear perception, continuous, lucid awareness, and may all beings realize that we are always already free. And then realize it and get used to it. <laughs> so we have maybe a couple minutes for any comments. Please, Larry. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about the neutral um, experiences and time. Because they're so neutral and we don't see them, it seems like, as you say, easy to just... Yeah, well, the, the neutral ones are the hardest to see, but if you're... If we're really paying attention, you start picking them up. That's all I can say. Tips that you might offer, things that you do to help. Yeah, I would say I'd say look for any place where you're where you're bored. (laughs) That's a good start. I mean, that's usually a few steps beyond the neutral, but you can you could reflect in that moment or hover a little bit and say, you know, what was happening just prior to that that moment of boredom. And and. I, the other thing that I like to do, especially for things that that are not obvious all the time, is to make resolutions that I notice them. And I'll even say in my mind three times, "I'm going to start I'm, today. I'm going to notice the neutral experience." And then it's interesting how there's a there's a little bit. Our minds are very suggestive, and and they respond very well to to um, to resolutions, to intentions. Inevitably, if if you practice with an interest in noticing the neutral thing, they will show up. They very quickly, though, often because of the power of mindfulness, they'll morph into pleasant. 
or, or into unpleasant, so they may not last long. But just hover a little bit, see what happens. Anyone else before we call it a night? Okay, thanks for listening. Just thinking a lot today about what we call mindfulness. It's not a very fun word, but I love the word uh, clear awareness or lucid awareness or aware presence or loving awareness, embracing that has a both active and receptive quality. Anyway, may we all grow in mindfulness and may our practice tonight and every day and every night be dedicated to the welfare and benefit all and let any of the blessings of our time together uh, be um, shared uh, always with a deep wish that all beings can find happiness and peace and the causes of happiness and peace increasing, that all beings can be free of suffering and the causes of suffering decreasing, May all, that all beings can know this, um, the freedom, the natural freedom of conscious being, and that all beings can at least grow in serenity, able to accommodate the pleasant, the unpleasant, the neutral with less reactivity. And um, this may all beings be free. So thank you for your aware presence. Thanks for your generosity of your presence, among other kinds of generosity. And hope to see you next Tuesday and also on June 8th, half day, at the Mindfulness Care Center. Anyway, thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.